Hey, I'm Johnny King, and I'm a life enthusiast, growth mentor, and lifestyle fulfillment coach, which means I've dedicated my entire life to helping anyone who feels like they're not making the most of their potential to level up and live the extraordinary life of their dreams. You deserve to be the king or queen of your own kingdom, and I'll be alongside to help you be the best version that you can be. I'm psyched that you're here, so let's get to it. Hey, what's going on? It's Johnny King with another episode of The Johnny King Show. I am here with an amazing guest, Tim Larkin, who is a self-defense specialist. He's a former military intelligence officer, a New York Times bestselling author. Um, thank you so much for being here, brother. I really appreciate you taking some time to, to hang with me and answer some of my questions. Oh, thanks for having me, Johnny. Absolutely. Tim and I met um, back in, I believe, 2015. We were at a Tony Robbins event in Maui, and I was kind of blown away with what we jumped right into, which you started just showing us <laughs> video of guys either breaking limbs or just being injured, right? Yeah. And the whole yeah. idea, if I remember correctly, was to show how once, I mean, once you're in that type of extreme pain, there's no other thought but the the broken bone or the that sort of thing. Is that right? Yeah. 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 It's, it's the, the concept, what, what I try to do in, the, in that environment, you know, with you guys and, and I have to be careful, you know, I got to tailor it for each group. Mm -hmm. um, the idea is, yeah, I do want the shock effect. I want people to see what real injury looks like to the human body because um, people have this idea of, you know, from Hollywood and, and um, you know, they watch combat sports and, uh, they don't see that that's, they don't see the differentiation of real violence. Right. And um, the scary part about, you know, that is the fact that it, it injury to the human body bypasses bigger, faster, stronger. And that means that, you know, even a, a grain of sand hitting a big, huge, like whoever your alpha predator, scariest guy in the world is, when he's stuck with a really annoying piece of grain of sand in his eye, he is, you know, he's focused on getting that out at that point. We're all affected by these, these areas. And that's a very, that's an irritant. That's not an injury. Um, but the, the reason I do that is because the excuse is oftentimes with people um, when they look at, at, at the idea of, of physically protecting themselves, they want to default to all the things that they can't do. Um, and they want to look at a threat as being so overwhelming, they can just tell themselves, there's nothing I can do, therefore, why even think about the subject and just hope for the best. Right. And, and hope's a really, just a terrible strategy. And um, what I try to show people is, hey, you're well within your means in an in, in extremist situation. Mm -hmm. We're all pretty equal on how we can protect ourselves if we focus on the idea of injuring the human body, which in and of itself can sound incredibly, you know, uh, controversial. And, um, you know, when people sound bite me, I can sound like an absolute, you know, sociopath basically. Right. Um, but that's not the intention. Right. And you wrote the book, uh, titled learning how, uh, when violence is the answer, learning how to do what it takes when your life is at stake. Right. And, and I think, <clears throat> correct me if I'm wrong before we even dive into this too much, Tony Robbins brought you in because he had all of us men or those that were kind of hardwired masculine step into a room with you and for a couple hours every single day for a week, really connect with that masculine energy. 
where the yeah. women or those that were hardwired feminine were in another room doing other things. But the whole idea was to kind of reconnect uh, what us with uh, or the masculine with what? What was the premise from your perspective, or Tony's I, perspective? I think Tony and I met. Um, <clears throat> it, it's worth going into a little background about that yeah, real quick. Um, first of all, I hate training celebrities. Uh, I normally do make it really difficult for them to train with me. And the be reason being is for most of them, um, they, they want to dictate how they're trained. They want to, you know, which, which I just don't have time for meaning, you know, from, from our working, the, the benefit you get from working with all the different body types, you know, and, and all of that, it's really cool. And so, um, I got contacted out of the blue by Tony. I guess he, we had a mutual friend that I didn't know about. You know, I, did, I didn't realize that this guy had been talking to Tony about me. Tony had some issues and sought me out um, for him and his family. So he first wanted to train with me, to, I think, to see, you know, to go through it, which yeah. is typical Tony. And <laughs> I wasn't a jerk, but I made it tough for him. Yeah. And um, he finally said, yes. I said, listen, if you're really serious, you can come out. I'm going, I'm going to be at the the academy at you know las vegas metro police department i'm going to be training a bunch of undercover narcs um you know they're you you walked into this group and they look like a group of from like sons of anarchy types you know um and i said dude i go that's just it i go they'll let you train with them and you know you can go through the course and see what you think i figured he's going to just check out and say no why to his credit and he showed up and i didn't know tony at the time um <clears throat> two things about him and this isn't a you know glorifying Tony thing. I just think people need to know this. He is he is an amazing student. Meaning he came in. There was no ego. There was no he. If he asked a question, it was a pertinent question. He worked with everybody. Um, just just a really really very unique. You know, it was a unique situation for me. You know, in those situations. But he had real concerns. He had real concerns about uh, about an idea, a situation that happened, and it came. Uh, it came, became very clear what, you know, the situation that, that eventually got them out of it, he goes, what if that wasn't there? What if it was just us and we had to deal with it? He said, I know a little bit, but I know my wife, Sage, doesn't really have a background in this. And how do we look at the subject of, you know, imminent violence? And, and the reason I, I the, the title, When Violence is the Answer, it's a controversial title and, and it definitely cost me promotions and book sales kept me off the initially kept me off the New York times bestseller list. Um, because people are very uncomfortable with, with that word violence. Yep. Yet what's interesting, what I try to tell people is if you look at military and law enforcement, you look at men, um, you know, like, like even the men that we were, we were dealing with out Tony, everybody has really good information when it comes to the lower levels of the potentiality for violence, meaning we all know how to talk our way out of a bad situation. We all know how to run, you know, um, and we all know how to avoid things, you know, like if we know, like a perfect example is what's going on with COVID and the protests, right? The protests slash riots right now, because you have to be honest about it. Listen, there's nothing wrong with peaceful protesting, but you, you can't justify what's going on right now. It's just, it's out and out rioting and, and people are getting killed. Um, the, the understanding the difference there. The, the one thing I always saw in my 30 years of doing this is when you got to the point to where your life is in danger, if you could have left, you would have, if you could have talked your way out of it, you would have, uh, if you know, any, any chance of avoiding it, you would have done it. But now you are facing imminent grievous bodily harm, danger. 
there's even at the military and law enforcement level, when it comes to using your brain and body to protect yourself, there's like just, just no specific information out there. It's that one area that just where you, when you need the most specific, straightforward, my life is on the line. I want to, you know, I want to absolutely guarantee that what I'm about to do is going to get me a result. Nobody talks about it. You know, they say, do whatever it takes because people are very uncomfortable, uh, understanding that there's that rare black swan event where you may have to injure a person in order to save your own life and those of your loved ones. Mm -hmm. And the challenges and and what Tony saw in it was not only the practicality of the self-protection side, which is the only thing I was concerned with. You know, I was basically training mostly military law enforcement, a lot of contractors that were going overseas. um, And even the civilians I was training were more, um, people that, that took risks as far as travel and stuff like that. They were those types of individuals. Um, so my, my mindset was, was in those types of situations, you know, and, and understanding those types of situations. So the, the nice part about this is when I got to go like with your group out there, it's a bunch of guys that they did not specifically come there to train with me. It was, it was their Tony, you know, voiced this upon them mm-hmm. type thing. Mm-hmm. And guys, that and, and the other thing is a Tony event, you know, and Tony events are, you know, I mean, the funniest thing that I laugh and I always joke with you guys about this is you come from like Tony, like, you know, the music and everything yeah. to me going, hey, silent. You guys can't talk. I want to hear you guys, you know, coming in completely different, a social event. You guys oh. go from the most. What I loved about what I love about that dichotomy is you guys are getting some of the best information because it's a relationship seminar basically. That's why the women are doing separate training and the guys are doing it with me. And and the interesting part about that is you guys got to experience being incredibly social, and then also realizing oh, now now when I train in an environment where none of those social cues are there, I understand Mm -hmm. the difference between what's avoidable and what's not avoidable when it comes to violence. Mm And to me, that's the greatest gift I can ever give a client. Mm-hmm. And I told Tony this. I said, you know, I didn't know what to expect. He said, but this is some of the most rewarding training I've done because it, the fact that you guys did not specifically come there for a self-protection course and you were open to the information and uh, the, the feedback I get, you know, again, look, Johnny, we end up a couple of years later, you're having me on your podcast. I can't tell you how great the members have been. You know, Tony's people have been. They've reached out to me. They've given me a lot of opportunities but again, it's two groups that never would meet willingly, probably. Totally, you know? totally. So I thought that was interesting. Totally. And I think that's the, I mean, when you think about your, your program that I remember, you know, you working through the target focus training, it's, that is such a, a masculine trait, which is to put on your blinders and just totally focus on one thing, you know, which is kind of like when you're in the zone, when you're talking about sports or defending yourself, like if it is, and I remember you saying like, this is not some type of like bar fighting type, you know, thing. No. this is only, this is a last, last resort. If it's essentially my life or their life, you know, or my family's life or their life where this is, this is to obviously injure and potentially, you know, kill someone if it were down to that but i remember yeah. something that you really said that said like really stuck with me is like you know you've been a part of a lot of different cases and a lot of these you know there's a lot of and correct me if i'm wrong situations where women have been raped and then killed 
And the yes. only way that men have been brought in, perpetrators have been brought in is because their DNA were underneath the women's fingernails. So the, right. the women were just scratching the surface where if they actually knew what you taught us, they, they maybe, you know, would have been able to get away with their life, right? So I think that's why it's so important to, to in those rare situations, like the black swan situations, why yeah. your training is so important, right? Yeah, and what's, what's interesting about learning, um, and it really is lethal application of violence is what you're learning. Um, and you're not learning it for, you, you know, what, what the, the, the biggest concept I need to get across to people is the idea that violence is a tool. It's not good or bad by itself, meaning violence by itself, it's how it's wielded, meaning that we, there's no such thing as self-defense. Mm -hmm. Self-defense is a legal term, an after-the-fact term. And there's really no such thing as, as criminal uh, you know, criminal violence either. Uh, that is an after the effect thing. What we're talking about is the tool of violence and how it's used. How it's used will be determined whether it was a justified use of the tool, which would be self-defense, or criminal use of the tool, which will then get you into the legal system mm -hmm. after that. Um, but the tool is available to everybody. And the problem is in the last, you know, really the last 30 years, we have, uh, we have sold ourselves this idea that to even study the use of violence somehow makes you criminal and that the big the big problem with all of that is it's gotten so bad that for the most part you know when we look at society right now the only people that have access to the tool of violence are the predators right um, because we have sold ourselves this bill of goods that we don't deserve this tool we don't deserve how to understand this tool that we somehow would abuse this tool and, and i will tell you this Yes, my training is intense. Yes, you're going to learn how to, you know, protect yourself to the fullest capability to the point to where you may have to incapacitate somebody, possibly even kill them. Um, and you will understand how to shut down the human body. But what's really interesting about that is it was sane, socialized citizens, real, you know, people that are on there. It actually makes us more peaceful. The more, the more highly trained you are to understand lethal application, you understand the potentiality of when you put your hands on somebody, where it could go, has a whole other row of benefits to people that are so counterintuitive. It's, it's, you think, oh my God, you know, it's gonna make you more violent. Well, guess what, it actually doesn't. When you work, like I had you guys work on the surfaces were not always the best, you know, and, but you felt, you know, like if somebody's on your ankle, you felt, wow, I'm really glad this guy's going slower on there because I understand if he put anything into this, my, my, my ankle would just snap at that point. Mm -hmm. You have that kinesthetic awareness of this works. This is, this is not anything I would ever do to anybody in a joking manner, in a roughhouse manner or any of that kind of stuff. And, uh, and it's not, it also, it's not, it, it, it's, it's a human skill. It is not a male, female skill. Totally. Women are just as capable of protecting themselves. Um, sometimes it's a, a more of a psychological challenge to get them there um, because they've had a lot of, of uh, res they've been told a lot of things in society that they shouldn't think this way or protect this way, um, protect themselves in this manner. Um, and and that's unfortunate, but we're making strides that way. That was the other re big reason, Tony. Uh, it's so funny, too, because the program he brings me into, I won't get to work with the guys, yet Tony was the guy that said, hey, listen, your first big book that you're going to do, he goes, it's got to be to women. So my first book, my, my, my first published book was to the women because Tony felt it was so, you know, imperative 
that women understand the tool of violence. But men, I'm actually, it's, it's funny because I was thinking about our conversation prior to this. I, that's easy. I mean, working with women is great. And, and I'm definitely going to do more of that. I've got a lot more planned that way. But I'm really noticing in my conversations with men, a lot of them are really struggling with what used to just be kind of a rite of passage. It used to be something that, you know, I'm a little bit older than, than a lot of the crowd. Um, and I realized like I had a, I had a world war two grandfather. Um, my uncles were all, you know, really tough Boston guys. And the first thing that you were, you were expected to learn how to protect yourself. You know, you weren't supposed to call somebody to help you. It's just, you know, it, there was this idea that, you know, learning to use the tool of violence, you know, we didn't call it that, but learning to, you know, quote unquote fight, take care of yourself was an encouraged rite of passage for men. And um, it, it didn't mean you had to be a world-class, you know, a boxer or MMA champ or anything like that. But you were expected to understand, hey, this is, this is how I can protect myself. And we've got away from that. Now, we've, we've done that. There's a small portion, and, and it seems larger because of the uh, UFC and everything. But there's a small portion that's out there training MMA. There's a small portion that's out there training combat sports. But across the board, I would say for the most part, um, men in particular and young boys um, – don't have that outlet anymore. And it's a fantastic outlet to have. I mean, that's the one thing I got from, from our, our days, you know, in, at, at the Ritz, why it's so rewarding is I come up some of those unlikely guys come up to me and say, you know, I've never, I always thought I couldn't do anything. I always felt like it, this just wasn't for me. I was screwed. I have no illusions about myself, but I just understand it was a lack of knowledge. And I understand that if the predator gives me the opportunity, I now know I can do something. And, and to me, that's just such a systemic change in the way you look at the world, you know, with just a little bit of right training. And I want people to understand, I want your folks to understand this. It's not like you go through my course, like we broke it up over like four or five days at yeah. Tony's thing. But most of my, most of my seminars are like two day seminars. And this is not two day seminar. And then you're ultra ninja. What, what the two day seminar is people say, Oh, how can you learn anything effective in two days? Well, you absolutely can. And I think it's people put in the wrong context. I would look at like becoming say a UFC champ or a MMA competitor or a martial arts competitor, the equivalent of going to medical school. Yeah. Okay. Right. What I do is I teach CPR. And so I'm going to teach you really effective, straightforward methods that will save your life. You want to jump in the ring and you want to compete in jujitsu. You want to do Hey, that's a whole other world. That's unbelievable dedication um, and you're going to have to really train tactically. And people might misinterpret that as saying one is better than the other. The reason you have to train so much more for a combat sport or a martial art in competition is because you have to gamify violence. And to gamify violence, you have to take out the one thing that you absolutely need if your life's on the line on the street. And the one thing is direct injury to the human body. If you look at the rules in combat sports, last time I looked at the UFC rules, there were 31 rules, 27 of those rules outlawed direct injury to the human body. And, and that's rightfully so. There's, there's no place to deliberately injure your competitor because that's not the idea. The idea is to better him tactically and to go in, but to sit there and say, and, and people all know what I'm talking about, like to deliberately go in and punch somebody in the throat to crush their larynx and have them, you know, asphyxiate. There's no place for that in sport, right. you know, to, permanently blind somebody or do permanent damage to their body deliberately, not by accident, but deliberately, there's no access. There, there's no reason for that. Whereas when your life's on the line, 
that's exactly what you need to do to the bigger, faster, stronger predator. Yep. And so there's just just a position on how you look at that. Totally. I, it's good that you went into that because one of my questions is going to be to explain the difference between defense training and MMA training, but you, you just answered my question before I even asked it, but I think that's good. And, and just yesterday, uh, I launched a podcast episode with, uh, with my buddy, Mark Montoya, who's a, one of the elite UFC coaches, and he's got a training, yeah. a, a training uh, facility here in Denver, Colorado. And I've been hanging out there just watching them spar every Friday. Yeah. Um, it's just fun to be around the guys and just to see, how to your point they've gamified it there's boundaries of course they're still going at each other and yet to your point like if if they were to incorporate anything that you train man the the fight would be over in a heartbeat yeah yeah and people sometimes misinterpret saying like one is better than the other and that's not it at all this is some of my most fun guys to train for me personally are young mma guys you know I'm, i'm i'm in my 50s now and i can still once in a while surprise them yeah. But, you know, I, my, 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 my competition days are way gone. What's really interesting is I'm in Vegas, so I have tons of guys. And I used to tell people all the time, I trained um, at my old training facility. I was literally right across from one of the number one MMA places in, in Vegas. Yep. And I trained there. My buddy owned it. And I'd go in there and say, I had the same experience. I liked hanging out there. Why? The music was awesome. The guys were great with each other. You saw some amazing competitors and the camaraderie was really cool to watch too you know the training tempo way cooler you then stepped over to my place and people are training no music no sound the only sound you hear are people hitting the hitting the ground you've got people deliberately looking at areas of the human body trying to destroy them um you know learning the the specific mechanics of of saving their lives it's a completely different environment i i want to train a social non-communication because that's what predators do it's when communication stops that most people don't understand, hey, violence is imminent now. So training people in the asocial environment, um, I've found, while unpleasant, it is not pleasant. It's hard not. I mean, you guys found it hard. You guys are in this incredibly social group, and I'm asking you, hey, no effect, no smiling, no helping each other up. And the reason being, and that's what you see like in the uh, MMA gyms. The guys are always, hey, good one. That was awesome. You got me, and they helped each other right back up. We don't do that. Why? There's no help on the street. You're not going to throw your hand up and somebody's going to pull you up. So we don't want you to, to go into those social niceties or anything. We want your mind clear to understand that, hey, my life's on the line. I have to be very deliberate about my actions right now. And I have to understand. I want to access the right part of my brain for this information. And, and I want to make sure that I can truly protect myself. So I get to go back to my great life. I get to go back to my family, my friends, and do it. The predators usually have way less to lose than you. And, and that's something I try to, you know, your life is worth fighting for. You were, you did not in these criminal acts that, that my clients unfortunately have had happen to them over the years, they didn't bring it upon themselves. Mm -hmm. This was brought to them. Somebody tried to absolutely ruin their lives. Mm -hmm. And, and fortunately they had information uh, that they were able to protect themselves. Yeah. It's cool how you went into that because I feel like that's, I mean, the difference between the gym that you trained at and the gym across the street, because when I'm at the MMA gym uh, south of here, you know, they're turning up the music loud, like you said, oh, yeah. they're, they're, and all the teammates are yelling, stuff like that, to, to mimic, you know, a UFC fight where there's so much noise. And the point is, while you're in the throes of, you know, battling your, your uh, opponent, that you're listening for the coach's voice, that you're able to hear yeah. pinpoint his voice, because he's the only voice you should be listening to, where with you, you're right, like, 
when when the shit hits the fan, if that's the case, then you have to. Sh- it's you got no one but you so, right. and your training, right? Right. Which is why it's so important. Um, I guess I'm curious. Uh, what have been what have been some of your greatest testimonials, if you will, of people who said I took you know I took your training and this freaking saved my life. You saved my life. Have you you've had those? I'm sure. So, yeah, so I had, well, there's a couple. The, the, oh, the, the number one is a doctor. I'll tell you about a doctor in, in, who went in uh, for inner city surgery. I'll, I'll tell you that in a second. But my ultimate, like, like fanboy, um, and I me mean, being a fanboy um, situation, I had, I had my James Bond moment. I was in Prague training at a, a really exclusive event where we had speakers literally from all over the world. It was just, this, I mean, it's just, one of the most amazing things I've ever been part of. Uh, I think, believe it was about 2002. And I knew speakers were coming in and I kind of knew, I kind of knew this gentleman was around, but I hadn't met him yet. So I'm just setting this up. So I had a, I, I did, I was in this amazing hall training and, and it was a who's who's I had like the King of Jordan was there. It was just like, it, it was crazy. And everybody's doing TFT, you know, everybody's doing it. Boom. So afterwards, this man comes up to me and he said, I just want you to know, he goes, that's the finest presentation I've ever seen on hand-to-hand combat. Mm. And would it be okay if I give you my card because I'd like somebody to contact you? And I didn't know who it was. Well, it was, it was the former head of MI6. It was, oh, wow. it was, you know, James Bond. It was M, basically yeah. from James Bond. It was him, I won't say his name. But he was, he was great and it was just blew me away. That, that was my mic drop moment. I'm like, okay, I can, I can stop my career right now. I'm, I'm good. Yeah. Um, that was really, really cool and really, really unexpected. Yeah, um, but the testimonial of a client, probably the one, the one that I, that I always tell is, uh, there's a doctor. Um, he gets called, he's a, he's a neurosurgeon gets called eight year old boy has uh, I don't know if it was aneurysm, but he, he needed immediate surgery. He gets called in the middle of the night and I believe it was Cincinnati. I know it was, it was Ohio, but it was one of the, but it was in the inner urban area, which was really crime ridden wherever, wherever he parked. So he parks his car at the hospital. As he gets out, two guys jump him literally in the parking lot. Here's this doctor going to save a life. He gets attacked. He goes, Tim, he goes, it was just like training. He goes, I saw the guy had the knife. I knew the radial nerve. He goes, I came down. I, I struck the radial nerve. I was able to hit him to the throat. He went down. The other guy ran away. And security caught it on the camera. Security got there right away and secured the guy. Doc goes in and he, uh, he performs the surgery. And the first thing he did after he came out, he scrubbed up, he wrote us and told us the whole thing and save the kid, the whole deal. But the whole thing was like, here's somebody who, man, shit should never happen to this guy. You know, I mean, I mean, he's, he's saving lives, you know? And, uh, and he writes me after, you know, it's pretty cool. So, yeah. So that kind of stuff, which I don't really get that, like in the military and stuff like that, you know, yeah. um, I expect those guys to do well. My law enforcement clients, I expect them to do well. It's when you get one of those civilian clients that you go, why, you know, mm-hmm. why would it happen to him? Mm-hmm. But yeah. Well, to think of how many lives you oh, help save no it's great it's, it's i love that you're emotional about the work it's cool that again oh no 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 it's just, it's just, it's just allergies oh okay i'm kidding it's, no it's it's uh it it's me. cool that it with the, yeah with the doctor man he you saved his life through your training he saved a boy's life but then how many more like if he were if he were terminated let's say at that moment yeah. 
how many more lives has he saved that he wouldn't have saved, you know, like that's exactly. a huge, that's a huge ripple effect of just your work throughout, throughout this lifetime, which is pretty amazing. Well, and that's it. That's it. It's, it's, it's you, you know, that's why I just, that's why I encourage everybody. And it's not about training necessary, but it's like, so people have so, so little information about the subject and just, even if you don't want to train, if you understand violence and you understand how it works and you understand how to, you can really live a life where you can minimize the chance of it ever coming into your life. It, it's yeah. usually people that, that end up taking what they, they don't understand are unnecessary risks. And that's, what's cool. After you kind of go through the process with me, I'm hoping that, that my clients then walk away with a much better decision-making capability that there's behavior modification going on. They're not doing things that were risky. I, I think I use this term with you guys. My goal is to point out everything that is the equivalent that you're doing in your life. That is the equivalent to sleeping with your head on the railroad track. Mm -hmm. And so far the train hasn't come, you know, and then that black swan event comes and it's there. But if we've trained, now all we know, all I'm trying to get you to do is take your head off the railroad track. Yeah. That way, it doesn't matter if the train comes or not because right. you've you're, you're out of the way. And that's my goal with everybody is to is to kind of do that kind of work with them and, and cause them to think. Now, yes, there are those mutants like me that love the actual physical training and want to take it as far as they want to go, and that's fine. But that is not what the average person has to do to be able to understand violence and also to have an effective plan on how to deal with it. I th and why I loved this conversation and, and why I wanted to bring you on was because I work with so many guys now in, let's say, men's work, um, because there's just a lot of, and I was that way too, before I really met Tony and got into his work, just very passive, right? There's yeah. a lot of passivity in men, but it, but it goes either from passivity or it swings to massive anger or, oh. you know, physical abuse or, you know, domestic abuse and that sort of thing. You maybe mentioned a little bit, but how can your training help the evolution of men <laughs> in finding their self-confidence, you know, their greater peace, like you said, any of those things that you, you feel like your training can actually support, even though I think from the outside, people would be like, that would be counterintuitive. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing. It was like uh, Chris Kyle, um, the the Navy Snail Cyper, you know, for the, from that movie, you know. He was running a program that's actually for the vets is actually really counterproductive. Now, granted, you know, he had a tragic loss of life on that. Um, but it was taking guys, taking combat guys, former combat guys back out shooting again and getting in there and just, just allowing them to, to because what it started triggering was the idea of, Hey, when I was in the military, I was part of a team, I was part of this group. And, and they started getting that feeling again, going, Hey, how can I bring this into civilian life? Mm -hmm. So there's things like that. Now, what you're talking about is something that, yeah, it's, it's really disappointing. It's really disappointing that we have tried to, we have tried to eliminate the, celebrate the differences in gender rather than try to homogenize men basically to the point to where, um, you know, there, there, we are, there's so many benefits to that, but I'll give you a perfect example of the Tony situation that really, freaking killed me there was a guy that was training and you tell and, and there's nobody there that's not successful i mean they're very successful people here and this guy was successful but he you could tell he was a sheep when it came to women you know and and his, his and he had a wife that was just uh you know she's just a ball buster i mean there's no other way to say it. that that that's it 
And what was so interesting was she, he came by. Now, this guy had talked to me about a situation, and he said, wow, you really, you really showed me that had I just had a little bit of knowledge, I would have handled that situation different. And he was really kind of coming into like that, what you're talking about, that idea of, hey, it's okay for me to feel like this again. <laughs> so they passed me at the Ritz. You know, I'm walking to my room, and I pass, and, I, and he says, hi. I go, hi. He says, ow. She goes, ow. You're the guy that's finally giving my husband some testosterone. Da da da, man. Just this guy, his shoulders, everything. He just sunk, you know. And honestly, that's kind of a, it's kind of the way the world is treating men right now. And, and this is not a pity party. This is just a reality. I have a young son, um, you know. And the difference is, I have seven-year-old twin daughters, and I have a nine-year-old son. Just the natural way they play is so different, you know. Um, I, I tell I tell this story. I have a I have a huge wood pile. We do we do we we do a lot of fires in my family. We go out and it's great because you get the kids around. And totally. There's just something about a fire where everybody will start talking, you know. Totally. So it's, totally. it's it's really it's really awesome. So we do that all the time. But one day, you know, my I have an older son who's 25 and he was coming to visit, and my younger son and I were out there and we were stacking some wood and doing some things. And when nobody was looking, he grabbed like this little iron and he starts hitting the wood, you know, like, like really hard. It's, it's like one of those, you know, the, uh, the pokers, you know, fire poker yeah, and stuff. Yeah. He just, he just felt that was a fun thing to do. You know, and he's pretending, I'm sure he's probably like, you know, a knight or something like that. Boom, hitting it. And my wife sees it and she's, oh my God, you know, and I go, that's fine. I'll just, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't destroying anything. He was just, I let him have a little outlet. Boom. Sure enough, my older son comes home. We start putting the fire together. And I go to Connor and I go, hey, that's my older son. I go, hey, could you go get some more wood? He goes up there and he sees the poker. Now, he wasn't there earlier in the day. He picks the poker up and he's just like, he starts hitting the wood and everything. My wife sees that. I go, see, I go, it's just normal. You know, yeah, yeah. we're different. We need outlets. You know, we need physical outlets. And I think a lot of those physical outlets have taken away with the mistaken idea that was, it, was, it was causing aggression. It was yeah. actually decreasing aggression. Men need to have an outlet to have these aggression. We, we communicate differently than women. Women are far more verbal. We are far more physical and, and we are much less verbal in how we deal with things. And I think, I think that's really been shoved to the wayside. We've, we've been told that all of this is negative and we're seeing the results. We're seeing what happens when men don't have good role models and when they don't, uh, they're not allowed to be, they're not, they're not allowed to, to naturally be who they are. They've been told that's wrong. Right. And, and I see it all the time, but I'm not one of these, I'm not one of these chest thumpers. I'm not sitting here saying all men should be, listen, there's some bad sides of it. But the problem with what I think what the other side doesn't understand people that are, so you talk about male toxicity and all of this, is it there? Yeah, sure. It's there. But what they don't talk about is they don't talk about the suppression and that, that, a lot of what they're doing is well-meaning quote unquote. And, you know, they think, Oh, it won't make boys as violent or, or aggressive. It's actually increasing those, those events on that pendulum swing. So then when something does happen, you've got these extreme violent events um, where people just completely overreact. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's, no, it totally does. Yeah. And it relates because I grew up with a, a workaholic father who did great, you know, financially. And yet I, he wasn't around a ton when I was little. And so I just, kind of learn to value myself by how my mom and all the women in my lives, you know, like the, the teachers and my sisters, the, how they all valued me. So I just learned to be, you know, I struggled in school for a while just because I was, I was wanting to be outside and, and 
playing in nature and playing recess and playing sports, but then they always saying, sit still, don't say anything, do your work. And I was, so eventually I, I just became a lot more passive, right? Yeah. Because I didn't have that male mentorship. So there is something written, I think, into the, the hearts of little boys, which is just that want to blow shit up and want to. Yeah. And, and, there's- and it should be, it should be, it should be encouraged because it, it's an outlet. That's what people don't understand. If not, they're going to go deep into video games. They're going to go deep into this other stuff, which listen, there, there's a time and a place for all of that. I'm not anti everything. I'm, I, I'm certainly not a Luddite when it comes to this. And the world has just moved on and there are certain things that are going to be new, but exactly what you're talking about, you know, boys, and boys something as simple as letting boys have stand up desks. You know, I mean, that alone would help with a lot of the nervous energy and stuff like that. There's, there's, there's been studies on all this kind of stuff. What I do is I make sure my son has a lot of physical outlets. You know, right now I have him primarily focusing on gymnastics because I really feel that with a good gymnastics base, you can do anything athletically after that. And and it's really good. And, and, you know, and that's, you know, that, that's kind of how I do it. And he, you know, he goes four days a week. He's smoked, you know, after he, he does all this, Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's important. My girls, same thing. My, my, my girls, we, we focus on them. They have, they have certain needs. They're, they're physical. They do a lot of physical training, but they also have a lot of time where they're just, you know, it's so funny to see the, there's, you know, they're, they're twins. And so they just, they're with each other all the time, but their version of playing is so different than my son's version of playing. You know, um, he likes to create things and, you know, like there's always a volcano. There's always some sort of a natural disaster that, you know, he's either saving people or things are getting destroyed. And the girls are just having basically, you know, their conversations at that age, which are far more about, you know, like they'll want to pretend they're teaching a class or they'll want to attend there. And we don't celebrate the differences between men and women anymore. You know, When, when I train men and women, I train them exactly the same physically I approach it a little bit differently um, with with, e- with each each side, though, and, and you have to because if I want a woman, if I trained women the way I trained men, and vice versa, um, it would be highly ineffective. You know, because the communication style, why you do that, you have to communicate things differently to a woman than you do to a man when it comes to using violence. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I coached women for eight years <laughs> prior to now switching over and coaching men for the last two, and it was so different. You know. Yeah. Um, with how you communicate. And I've learned a lot of that actually from Tony and various other people because he's, he's really good at how he kind of dances between yeah. the masculine and the feminine and how he approaches people. But I think that's a big part of why, again, I wanted to have you on is because I talked to so many men and they like, I need some type of healthy outlet to let this, especially with all the, the protesting and everything else going on and COVID, just there's a lot yeah. of stress for men and women, don't get me wrong, but oh, yeah. men especially, because they suppress it, they feel like they're alone. It either turns into they're committing suicide or they're committing violence against themselves, maybe through yeah. substance abuse or, so there's gotta be a healthy outlet. And this is pretty cool. In terms of your actual target focus, the TFT to- target focus training, do guys have to come to you in person, is there a virtual? What are some of the options that they could dive into? My virtual training is basically uh, is basically tape seminars and things that I've done. I've created products around that. And I do have a whole virtual training center. The live training portion of it, it's I'm in such a weird position right now. Um, yeah, I'm blessed that. What's really strange with this with, with COVID was I had four streams of income. And then when COVID hit, I went down to one, which was my online sales. Uh, my, live tr- my, my live speaking was gone. 
live training is gone. And then also I had a, well, actually two come, come back. Well, the, the income hasn't come back, but it's reopened. I have a, a machine gun um, a lounge out here in Las Vegas that we cool. do for tourists. And that got shut down. So it was really interesting, like, like when that happened, that, you know, for me to do stuff, I, I, some of my friends in the industry have done some virtual training. It's, it's, it's just not that effective. Um, it's, it's hard. You know, I really need bodies to work. I mean, I'm really screwed even more than most guys because, you know me, I tell you guys all the time, hey, it's to your advantage during our training to work with as many different body types as possible right now. Mm-hmm. And here in Nevada, I'm a phase four. Um, and in most other, most other cities, especially in, of course, a lot of the cities I go to are, are very effective. You know, New York, um, you know, Miami, I'm, I'm down there. Uh, I was looking at DC, um, you know, San Fran, LA, you know, even, even Nevada is, yeah. is right now there to where nobody's, nobody's allowing that type of training yet. Yeah. Um, and yet that's what we need. You know, you, you need to work with another body and I can't socially distance people that way. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty difficult. I, I would say maybe a, a, a good first step for any guy that's listening to this that's kind of interested would probably pick up your book, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When violence is the answer is, is if you, that alone is, is enough information for you to create a life that really minimizes the chance of violence. It also gives you really good parameters on if you are interested in training, how to ask the right questions and how to make sure that you're getting the training that you really want, meaning... Um, you, you, it might be really fun if you, I have no problem. If you want to become a competitor or you like to do competitive, like something like jujitsu and you want to sure. compete, nothing wrong with that. It's just, just realize that's an indirect path to, to street violence. And, um, you know, you just have to ask yourself, I mean, I'm at the age now where, and I, I made this decision a long time ago, but I only am concentrating on things, uh, that will save my life. Meaning, you know, the only time I would ever use violence is not for, competition or not not for anything you know that nature I'm, I'm beyond those days now i'm just sitting there it's like you know even in my firearms training that i do and all my other stuff it's all related around saving my life and the life of others rather than competitive shooting or anything i, I train with luckily i get to train with really great guys from the military that you know all, all guys from units that you'd all know um and and that's just the decision that, that I've made at this stage of the game. So, you know, competition is great. It's just our competitive years are really short, you know, in, in lifespan. Learning to use a tool of violence is a life skill. You literally can use it your whole life. And, um, you know, I've had people well into their 70s. Even one guy, I think the oldest guy that actually gave us a, a police report was 82. Mm. Um, and it's, they were able to save their own lives because they understood how to injure the human body. The person they injured had they been put in a ring with them and everybody knew what was going on, you said, go, well, it would have gone horribly wrong, you know, for that person. But what, what you understand, when you understand how to use a tool of violence, a smaller, you know, lesser physically intimidating person can affect an injury on somebody that is much bigger, faster, and stronger, and you can incapacitate them. And, and when your folks need to understand, we're talking about injuries that are objective, meaning whether or not the person feels pain a radiologist would look at the look at the the film and say, "Hey, I don't care if this guy feels it. This is not working anymore." You know, that's the type of stuff because pain is really all over the place. You know, some people you can bend their finger back and they're going to capitulate right away. Other person, you could literally rip fingers off and they're going to keep coming at you. Mm-hmm. So we don't ever rely on pain. We rely on decrementing uh, de- functions. Interesting. Um, 
good and so that that's the idea behind it yeah right like you said breaking an ankle or all the other things you taught us eye gouging or yes wrote the crotch you know those right well, you even talked about the the collarbone things that are easy to. Yeah. What are the things? Why don't you go into some of the targets? It was just it's just some, some of the areas of the human body that are, are of interest. Everybody knows throat. Everybody the reason is throat is you're going to asphyxiate somebody. You know, th- you crush the throat on somebody, and there's no medical attention. Uh, three to five minutes, they're going to asphyxiate. You know, basically starve the brain of of, of oxygen and die. Um, you know, everybody understands eye. You're going to blind somebody. You know, you'll you'll even one eye will sympathetically tear the other eye. So the guy basically loses that. You burst an eardrum. You slap an eardrum on somebody. Uh, they're going to go into uh, a greater than fifty percent loss of their balance. Mm. Their their uh, their inner gyroscope, basically semicircular canal, will be damaged, and they can't really control their body. The collarbone, everybody knows that, you know, collarbones, you feel them right here. A strong little bone that does this, you know, raises everything up. It does not take direct pressure really well. It's, it's really, it's, it's a little bit bigger than chicken bone. And it's one of the few bones on our bodies that we can break with our own bodies. You know, like a a lot of bones, we can't, we need a tool to, to, to break a bone, but this, this is a bone. But what's interesting about it is, the whole shoulder group will drop on top of the lung when that happens. And now you're taking, you took taking out everything below the break. Mm. So this arm is no longer useful to the person because they can't get the arm to move anymore. So you've effectively taken away 25% of their weapons. Um, when, when you understand that, but that's how we go through the whole body. We go through areas of the body. It's, it's, it's all about decrementing function of the human body. So the person, what you want to take away essentially from anybody, the most dangerous thing, uh, you know, when you're facing another human or other humans, the most dangerous thing is that they still have an active brain. Maybe they're able to still think and move. Um, say they pull like a knife or a gun on you and you get control over the knife or the gun. You know, you get control over it, but the brain's still active. That person, if they know what they're doing, they don't need that gun to injure you. In fact, it might have even been a, it might have even be a ploy for you to do that because what they really want to do is they want to get in and they'll affect one of the areas that we just talked about. Um, what I try to do is I try to prepare all of our folks for the alpha predators. And I give you examples of the alpha predators before we leave. And, it, and it's really interesting when I, when I, at the very end, when I bring in like from the prisons and I, you hear these alpha predators from you know, these prison gangs talk and how they stalk people, all of a sudden, everything that you've just done with me that whole time makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And you go, oh, this is what we're training for. This is what a real threat is. Okay, I understand. This is not me, you know, defending my bar stool, you know, because, you know, some guy, you know, this is the only time this would, the only time what I teach would make sense for anybody to use is if that threat to you, if you felt what I'm about to do, you know, I've learned TFT and I'm about to injure this individual. And the reason I'm about to injure them is because I don't have a firearm because if I had a firearm, this would be enough of a threat for me to feel like I'm justified in emptying that firearm into that person. When you, when the stakes are that high on using the tool of violence, you know, you're going to be fine. You know, people always worry, oh, well, I overreact. No, if, if, you know, as long as you understand, Hey, this is the same, you know, what you're doing is the same work that a firearm would do to somebody. You're just going to do it slower and more deliberate mm-hmm. um, on, on somebody. And that, that changes people's perspective right away. And that's, that's where the, that's where the intercom comes in. And that's where also, Things that used to trigger you, like maybe a, a shitty comment to you or somebody or, or somebody, somebody saying something awful, 
it rolls off of you then. It doesn't, it, you don't allow it to become you because you understand where it could go and you have choice. And when you have choice, man, you always choose to avoid, Yeah. you know, and it's yeah. just, and you feel good about it. Even if they're making fun of you, you're kind of laughing to yourself. You're like, really? Yeah. Okay. That's what it, because I, I think I told you guys, you know, my, my big thing is a three day rule. Yeah. And what, what people understand is, is whatever event you're upset about right now, and you have to do this thinking prior but he cut you off on the road or he called you a really bad name. He made fun of your wife. He said you look fat in jeans or whatever, you know, you got to ask yourself three days from now, if I'm either six feet under or sitting in a jail cell, well, I tell myself there's nothing else I could have done. I absolutely had to use violence mm-hmm. at that point. So many things never make that threshold. It's just this rare, rare situation. And it completely changes the way people operate. It really does. Once they understand, I can't tell you that those are the, those are the testimonials and those are the feedback that that's the feedback that I live for where, Hey, Tim, love the book went down. You know, this situation happened to me the other day. The old me would have done this, but after reading your book, I did this. Thank you very much. And that to me is like, great. You got it. That that's, that's why I wrote the book. Yep. And that's why I wanted to have you on. Cause I think that is the, the difference to, to start helping men <laughs> evolve so yeah. that we're just not passing on to future generations, the, the same unhealthy, you know, resolutions that we as men come up with when we're frustrated or angry. Yeah. It's like, it's like, we've been asked as men to basically outsource um, for lack of a better word, word, you know, being a man mm-hmm. to, other groups, either first responders or, you know, in, in the world of Instagram and stuff, we, 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 you know, we have our, our, our new gods, you know, like this is my, this is my masculinity God. This is my, but it's only those guys. You can't be you, you know, like, like we're not tapping in. We've we got a bunch of guys that are feeling, hate to say betas because it's not, uh, it really isn't their fault. It's, it's really what society has done to a lot of these guys. And, and most of the people like yourself, you're talking about when you grew up, you're just trying to be a good person, you know? And, and if you're being hammered and told that natural male, uh, what's perceived as, as negative aggression or something is really, really, really bad. And you're a good kid and you're a good person. Then yeah. If you don't have a positive role, you know, a male role model, you know, I was very lucky. I grew up on military bases. My dad was in the military. Now my dad was gone a lot, you know, like six month deployments and were minimum back then. But you know what? We were surrounded. We were on the military bases, you know, living on Navy housing. We're surrounded by men. You know, we're surrounded by examples. We'd go hang out at the Marine base and we'd see the Marines training and they would always invite us in for martial arts or stuff. And, and so we, we were really lucky. We had that ability to, you know, even though it's not my dad, I still had really good positive male, you know, role models coming up mm-hmm. and, and humor. You know, men have a very different sense of humor than women do. And, and we need it. And it's the number one thing I miss. Like I, I was hanging out with a, the guy, one of the buddies I'm shooting with right now, who's an amazing instructor. You know, he's a former SEAL team guy. And, um, and we just started joking back and forth. And I go, man, that's what I miss. I miss that, that humor, that camaraderie that you only get yeah. in groups of men like that, you know, because yeah. yeah. most women look at us like we're, you know, we're nuts, you know, when right. we do that. But right. the, well, it's, it is, it's like the razzing back and forth, you know, yeah. just yeah. like stirring shit up a little bit just from, from buddy to buddy, which is kind of fun, you know? Oh, yeah. And I feel like a lot of guys, uh, a lot of guys say like they haven't had that type of camaraderie since, let's say, high school or college. Exactly. Out, then they get in the business world. Maybe they get married. Maybe they have kids. It's like then they feel like they're completely alone. And I think that's yeah. uh, what I'm working to bring together in Denver, and then ultimately bigger than that, uh, while still giving guys tools to, you know, 
protect themselves, learn how to heal and to to progress into a bigger, better version of themselves, just for themselves. Well, what's so funny? What's so funny, John? Is we've been told we've been told these last you know basically twenty years that the two can't coexist, mm-hmm. and they absolutely can. You can be you can be a, a really good person, and you can also know how to protect yourself be aggressive in a positive way. Like, like aggressive has been given such a, a really just, just a bad, you know, a bad, bad rap. Aggressiveness is the reason like most of us are successful. The aggressiveness is the reason that we, we have a lot of what we have because we aggressively went after something. Aggression can be really, really good where it's toxic is where it doesn't have a proper outlet. And then that's where you see the self, the self-defeating stuff you see the depression you see the alcoholism you see the abuse all of those things when we, when we don't when we don't have positive outlets and, and we don't keep you know enjoy like I, I go out of my way I, you know i'm in my 50s now but i go out of my way to keep in touch with my male friends mm-hmm. you know it'd be very easy for me to let those friendships go i got a group of four of us that every year we commit in in july i'm sorry in january every year four of us get together and we just do three days together. And all it is, it's, it's just hanging out, checking in with each other, having guy talk. And we're all very different. You know, we all come from different political persuasions, backgrounds. We've just been friends forever. Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, it's, it's one of the things that it's one of my most favorite times of the year is when I get to go do that, you know, because it's really, it really feels great just hanging out with your friends, you know, yeah. and we've all been friends like 20 plus years too. That's yeah. the other thing that's crazy, you know? Yeah. It's pretty cool. And I think even guys that maybe not have those 20 year old friends, you know, the, the, the camaraderie that can be built pretty quickly with guys when you just show up and be vulnerable and honest and have that guy talk is, is pretty powerful and, and so needed, you know? Once yeah. Get it. Well, that's to say, once guys get it, it's funny. They, they will go out of their way to keep experiencing it. Yeah. I think that's all you're seeing. You're seeing like a big, like a buddy of mine, uh, a couple of my friends, like my, my friend, Mark Devine, runs a, a, a program called Seal Fit. And then um, my buddy, Bidros uh, Kulian, he just started a program called The Project. And they're both kind of similar in a way is that I, I think there's a whole generation of men that feel like they haven't, they haven't had that rite of passage. Mm-hmm. And they'll do it at 35, they'll do it at 45, you know? Um, you know, I was fortunate. I had all that stuff growing up, you know, in the, you know being a military kid, I just did. You know, and I didn't realize how, I thought every, it wasn't until I moved around that I realized, oh, not only did not everybody grow up this way, but not everybody understands, like, what I think is normal is not normal, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was just taught, you know, a new kid in town, if, if you, you know, if they're picking on you and you're there, you got to fight, you know, you got to, so I was the oldest brother, I had to take care of my younger brother, you know, and um, there were just things that were, they were not, they were expressed physically and with what you'd call violence, but not not intent to do harm right it was a social violence and, and men understand that men understand what it is there's a hierarchy that we do it's you know it's kind of the monkey politics mm-hmm. and it's a very natural you know thing for a group of guys to do and and it's okay you know what you have to do is yeah you have to balance off you know the i think people have gone way overboard in what they're categorizing as bullying um i think some of this i actually believe there's positive there's positive uses of shame. There's positive uses of, of things. You have to be careful how you do it. But, but you know, uh, I, I really think this idea of uh, telling everybody, oh, you're okay just the way you are, is probably one of the, the ho- most horrible things you could ever do to anybody. 
Um, it does, it does not mean that you don't appreciate who you are. Meaning, listen, I'm never going to be, I'm never going to be an NBA center, you know, or anything like that, but it doesn't mean that, uh, you know, I can't, I can't have a hero who is maybe a basketball player or something like that, or I can't aspire to be better. I think, you know, there's this idea like, like even now in, in, um, clothing ads and stuff, they're showing, they're showing plus size models and they're showing, and they're wondering why their sales are going down. And it's not because they're, they're showing women that are not perfect fitness models. What people understand is we, we need an avatar. We need something to shoot for. We need something that's beyond. And even in something in fashion, women don't want to see if a woman is overweight and not exactly where she wants to be, she doesn't want to look at a woman like her in a dress. She wants to see the model that's up there. Even if she tells herself it's not true, you want to see the model up there because then you imagine, hey, if I get that dress, I could kind of look like that. I could, mm. you know, I could aspire to be this. And people say that that's all negative, but that's usually the motivation for personal change is you're dissatisfied with your current situation. And then you find a target, you find something that you want to be, and you may never reach that target, but it's amazing. You know, it's amazing how far you can go and improve yourself. So again, there's positive uses to it. I I think all that's been highlighted is all the, um, the outlying, you know, just negative abusive uses of that type of stuff. So I get it. These are difficult waters to navigate, but we're seeing it. You're seeing it and anything I'm seeing it with men. And I just sit there and shake my head. I go, man, I, I'm so thankful for how I grew up. Um, I'm, I'm thankful for how my sons are growing up because they're having, they don't have the same experience I had, but they're getting experience with, with that. Um, but I'm really, I'm really a little concerned for, for men right now. And, and I don't think we're being, I think we're really being marginalized and I think it's going to have a really poor, poor effect on society. If this continues at this, at this level, you know, it's, it's the, the level of it's just been really crazy. And I think it's asking men to do things that are very unnatural for us to do, mm-hmm. you know, um, talking about our feelings and all that stuff. It's good. Don't get me wrong. Believe me. I, I don't think suppression is good. Um, but I think some of the manners we're asked to express ourselves in aren't really, aren't really optimal for our gender. You know, I think they're my, and, and I go back to exactly what I'm like, my little girls, they will sit there in kibbutz and negotiate and go, I think my, 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 my son and his buddies, they'll sit around, knock each other around, boom, do the whole, completely different communication styles. And yet we, we try to use the communication style over here for the other gender. It just like, it doesn't work when we bring women into the, the male communication style. Right. You know, um, it, it's, it's a challenge. It is a challenge. I completely agree. And I think that's a big part of why I was motivated to do the, the work that I'm doing kind of called into it because I felt like I was avoiding the very thing that had caused me so much pain and grief, you know, right. past relationships and, you know, even my business and my health, everything else. And I think that's a big part of just understanding. Well, and, and there's, there's various books that I've read where it's like, you know what? truth is that the only masculinity can bestow masculinity you know like, yeah. uh, my mom couldn't could never teach me how to be a man you know no. nor nor could i or you teach your little girls how to be a woman that's only women can kind of do that right yeah you can teach a little girl how to be treated by a man you know absolutely and standards and vice versa you can teach a, a boy uh how to treat women but that's why i feel like that 
that balance has to be reinstilled and that why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I feel like that's kind of what you're talking to and why you've had, you know, a lot of gratitude for your upbringing because you're teaching your, your boys and your girls how to find that balance between yeah. mom and dad, masculinity and femininity. If it sounds, if, if that sounds correct. That's what I'm yeah. 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 It, it, it's, it's weird too. And it's like, we're, we're somehow supposed to apologize for that. You know, like, like that we're, that we're different, that we're not all the same. And in what's really disappointing is that the methodology is being encouraged that no, 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 only this way works. If you do it any other way, you know, that's aggressive, that's promoting, you know, misogyny or, or, or just a lot of the stuff that, that guys are getting, I think unfairly hammered with, is there a lot, is there some of that? Yeah, but nowhere near where it used to be. Um, and I just, I don't think people understand the damage that it does to uh, the country when you have a bunch of males that feel marginalized. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's going to, I don't mean from a violence standpoint, I just mean from a health procreation, you see drops in testosterone levels in fertility, all sorts of things that we've, we were facing it on a level that's higher than it's ever been. It's just a fact, you know, when you, when you look at this, I mean, how many people like, uh, you know, in young people are having to use, uh, you know, IVF therapy to get mm-hmm. pregnant, like they can't even get pregnant. Um, so there's, there's definitely been an effect on, uh, the, the, you know, the, the hormonal makeup of men and women, um, in, in the last, in the last 30 years here. And we just, you know, what, I think, again, we're in a very politicized time right now. You know, during this interview, we're right in the middle of a, a very heated political season that I don't think our country has really seen in quite some time, anything like this. Um, and it's just craziness. So I don't think anybody's going to be sane and sober to d- have real discussions until after this next cycle here. Um, but I'm really hoping, I'm really hoping that that will, regardless of how the politics turns out, I'm really hoping that we're going to have a serious discussion on, hey, how are we gonna start bringing boys up? And, and fathers are important and that we need to encourage both sides. And, and women, most of the women that I come in contact absolutely agree, they hate the other side. They hate this, you know, male toxicity and the, the fact that, you know, they're not able to meet, you know, guys are literally afraid to talk to women, you know, with, with everything that's going on right now. And so, yeah, being a male, like, I, you know, my, young son, my younger son, my 25 year old, um, you know, I've seen him navigate some really scary waters, you know, uh, where he's at. He's done a great job with it. He's never had an issue. But the things he's had to think about and what he's had to self-censor um, would have been unthinkable, you know, totally. just 20 years ago, totally. you know. Totally. Yeah. Well, and even in the work that we're both doing, I mean, you're putting out books. I'm doing, you know, we, we put our reputations and our names on the line, you know, to potentially uh-huh. be taken one small little snippet, right? Um, oh yeah taken out of context and your whole reputation could be on the line for that you know so it's very much a you know i, I know you uh, myself any of us that are kind of putting our our names out there it takes a lot of courage but it's also a scary place to to be at times because you you feel i should say i feel called into speaking my truth and yet you know there's that slippery slope of hoping that people receive it the way that you intend it when you say certain things you know yeah, we're in a gotcha culture right now that's like crazy um, and cancel culture that is just insane. Um, the only thing I can tell you, though, is it's pretty effective if you don't play the game, um, if you don't buy into it. You know, one of the things I think people really have to remember is Twitter is not reality. 
you know, like, like, and a lot in social media, when you look at it, yes, large numbers are, are, are taking part in it, but it's not the, the user base itself, the most active user base is a very small portion of, of the population yet they're wielding ridiculous influence right now. You know, um, and what I'm trying to tell people is, hey, listen, a lot of the things you think, well, gee, I'm afraid to say this because it should be right. Believe me, there are a ton of other people thinking the exact same thing on that. And I think we're seeing, we're going to start to see a point to where the pendulum is going to start coming back to reality. And uh, I think we'll be better for it. I Meaning, I think we will have corrected a lot of the bad aspects of aggression and, and, and uh, any of the, the, the male issues that we did have, because there was, there's misogyny, there's all sorts of stuff. But, you know... I have a lot of hope for this generation. I, I'm actually, you know, a lot of people are down on millennials and all this other stuff. I, I look at the society that they're asked to perform in and what they're doing. And I, I think, I don't think any of us would fare much better right now. I mean, it's really, these kids are loaded with debt. Um, you know, the, the opportunities aren't what, what they were for us, you know, at least me when I was, when I was, you know, younger. And, um, you know, so I give them leeway that way. I, I do think that, there is a lack of uh, understanding that uh, diversity, and I don't just mean racial diversity, I mean diver you know, gender diversity is actually okay. It's okay for us to be different. It's okay for us to, you know, it's okay for us to have friends from all over the spectrum. You know, I have friends that are crazy preppers and I tell them that. I got friends in the Upper West Side in New York that just, you know, are amazing people. They're great. We disagree politically on a lot of stuff uh, on there, but they're amazing people. And I have great, great, you know, respect for everybody. And that's just it. I mean, we're, we're taking ourselves so seriously right now. Like every word is, is just going to be hung on it. And I just don't think, I don't think we as men, I can only speak for men. I don't think we should live in fear. I really don't. I, I don't think we should live in fear of speaking our truth. Um, uh, obviously you, you have to navigate some pretty crazy waters business wise right now. Um, but I do think if we just stay sane and sober, I will tell you everything that could be written about me has been written about me. I've had every detractor go after me um, and slam me for 30 plus years. And the one thing I will tell you, and granted I haven't been in the cancel culture of this, which is, you know, way more intense, but I will tell you this. If you just consistently keep doing the work, you, that's what outlasts everybody. You know, just treat it as a marathon. Don't treat it as a sprint because you're going to have these things where somebody's going to hammer you or question you or something. And you're going to think you have to sprint along with them and, you know, try to, oh, I didn't really mean that. Just let it go. There's going to be another outrage coming along and then you just keep doing your work, yep. you know, and it's hard. It's hard to have people say false, misleading, outright lies about you um, just because either you have taken part of the market that they wanted or uh, they just disagree with you. They just don't like how you do what you do. Um, and it's tough. It's tough not to have that impulse to respond. But um, I would tell everybody, double down on your work. Double down on getting your message out. Don't, don't worry. Worry about the people. And that's the other thing, too, is don't be the guy where you get your 20 people saying, hey, that last article was awesome. Thanks so much for that. You don't be the guy that focuses on the one idiot that took the time to write the diatribe uh, about what's going on. I know they're probably in their basement. They're just, I mean, who, who, I mean, who are these people? Right. Like I really, I'm only motivated. I mean, it's one of those people you're only going to hear from me basically. If I think what you just did was awesome. You know, I, it, it, I get motivated by that. Even somebody I radically disagree with, I'm not going to take the time to sit there 
and and write a bunch of nasty stuff about them. Right. You know, it's just not my. It, it, and I don't think any any worthwhile person mm. is going to be that way. Oh, I, I completely agree. And I it reminds me of something you've been on Lewis Howe's podcast a couple times. I think you said. Yeah. Um, he said something the other day. See if I can find it real quick. Um, I don't know where it is, but he ultimately said like because I took a screenshot of it. You're never going to be criticized, you know, by people who are doing bigger things than you. You know, right. <laughs> you're only going to be criticized by people who are feeling insecure, who are wanting to bring you down, um, who are not happy with their own production in life. Yeah. Right. And I think that's uh, this. Here it is. You will never be criticized by someone who's doing more than you. You are too focused. They are too focused on their dreams and know how hard the journey is just to your point. Um, you will only be criticized by people who aren't achieving their goals and aren't um, and are actually taking it out on you. So yeah. I feel like that's, that's why I, I'm attracted to guys like you because let's bring each other up and celebrate each other's differences, right? Yeah. And even when we're talking about you know, masculine and feminine or relationships, it's actually the, the differences that create chemistry and you know, excitement versus if all of us are similar, it's very vanilla and yeah. boring, right? Yeah, and, and I think that's what's, what's crazy is I think people are uh... – I don't want it. I got it. I would hate the world if everybody was like me, yeah. you know? I mean, it's, I, I love the, I love the creativity of other people. I love, uh, I mean, there are people like that. I just think are wacky in their, maybe in their politics and stuff, but Oh my God, are they creative? And they produce some amazing either art or some stuff. That's just, it's, it's absolutely outstanding. It's like, I don't understand why we take this one little section where we're just really nasty to each other in our comments and all this other stuff. And we let that dominate our whole being. You know, like, like we see everything through that filter. Like I can't listen to this guy anymore because he doesn't think what I think in this subject, you know, even though I love what he does over here, because I just heard him say this, I'm going to completely discount everything that this guy does. It's just it's nuts. It's stupid. You know, I've seen that. I've seen that in dating too. You know, there's oh, yeah. a lot of that. If there's a, if they find just one chink in your armor, they disqualify you. Right. Versus yep. appreciating the differences or being an open, you know, having an open mind towards, okay, maybe I can learn something here. I think it's so powerful. But what, what you said, I think, which is a great place to wrap things up in is like guys got to really figure out what their purpose is, <laughs> be yep. clear about the direction they're going on, and then just know that it's a marathon. It's not be a sprint, you know? Yeah. A lot of people talk about, you know, having the mission and, and doing all that other stuff. And you'll see, you'll, you'll see people and there are a lot of good people out there. I mean, there are a lot of good guys out there talking about stuff and, and, and going, what I would do, what I would caution everybody is, um, listen to the content from these individuals, you know, the take, take the positive, but don't, you don't have to do the crazy stuff. You don't have to do the extreme stuff that a lot of these individuals do because they live extreme lives or they, or they, they do things, you know, like, you know, uh, something simple like getting up incredibly early in the morning. There's a time for that. I did that for years. Mm -hmm. The stage in my life, not practical, you know, just not practical in my lifestyle. And I think I'm not going to beat myself up because I'm not, you know, I'm not the 5am guy anymore. Um, there are tons of people. Tony's a perfect example. Everybody just tells me you got to get up super early. Tony is a night, night guy he gets all of his work done at night. i get calls from him it's three o'clock in the morning his time you know this this guy my buddy mike mahler who's another another guy in the fitness world and everything i've known mike for years mike is a a nighttime guy you know tim ferris for a long time wrote only at night and stuff so there's no one size fits all listen right. early morning if you can get used to it you absolutely can get a ton done you know during that time you, can, you literally can get more done before 9 a.m 
and a lot of people if it fits your lifestyle but don't right. don't do stupid stuff where you're not getting sleep totally you know um, it, it's just people are different, you know, and, and what works for people take, take what works for you and, and apply it, but don't, um, don't feel you have a lot of people feel they fail if they don't do like the super extreme stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's just that that's probably one of the biggest things I've learned. I've, I've seen some guys who are amazing at what they do and they're terrible at so many other things. I mean like awful on, on stuff, but I love them for what they do for what they do. I, I, I will, I will sit there and apply, but I don't try to do all the other stuff they're doing because it would be counterproductive for me, mm -hmm, you know? And what I love about your, your training and your approach too, is like you're saying with, with TFT, it's like, I don't care if you're the smallest little hundred pound female in the room up against this, 300 pound man who's you know the aggressor you can still protect yourself in the same way that you know there's a lot of talk about this like here's the box of being a man you've got to fit into it what what is being you know how do you define being a man anyways it, there's no yeah. real you know box for us to fit into but you can take your training you can go you know you can feel confident feel safe and let things like you said roll off your back because you are informed and educated no matter how big small athletic non-athletic smart yeah you know you are and i think that's what's great with the stuff that you're doing can i just say one last quick little little thing yeah. to give people that idea so i had a i had one of my guys who was trained years ago he's he's now an instructor and everything but back then he was he wasn't an instructor yet but he was going through, putting himself through school. He was a manager at a restaurant in La Jolla, California, a really nice part of California. He helped the busboy take out some trash, and he was coming back, and he was greeted by a guy at the back door with a shotgun, shotgun and ski mask. My friend's first thought was the angle that he was at with the, with the can that he had, he goes, I can take this guy. He saw an opening, and he saw where he could easily get in and, and you know get between him, the gun, get in and take the guy out. But his thought was, he goes, you know what? My whole staff's in there. I got to see what's going on. Sure enough, four other people there had the staff all prone down with firearms on them. The, my, our guy looked at it and said, you know what? Nah, not worth it. He goes, I can't guarantee I, can't guarantee I could do anything. Mm -hmm. So he did what they said, sat down. He, he too was there. Luckily, it ended up just being a robbery. They took everything and they left. Interesting part about that was the only person that didn't need um, – that didn't need counseling after that. And the only person that could, that could be used by the uh, prosecutors to identify these guys down to their distinguishing tattoos, because all of these guys were, are hooded, but our guy, he realized, okay, I can't do anything right now, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to keep looking for opportunities. Mm -hmm. And he kept, he was able to scan. He just started noticing things. Oh, this guy has a, has a, uh, you know, a, a, a tattoo here this guy and he was able to say yep that guy that guy that guy and so and he was completely calm why because he had already thought about events like that he also knew from his training he was fine he was totally fine with the fact that he didn't take action because he understood it wouldn't have been practical at that point he would have put too many people at risk and he was okay with that and so that's what i'm trying to tell people it's not the fact that you get trained and oh now i'm ready to use violence it's actually it gives you a really good filter of when you would ever use the tool and when it would ever be practical and that, yeah. you know, but what's cool is he wasn't affected by any of the actual violent part of it. Cause he'd already thought that out. He'd already been part of it. He'd already been training. That's so cool. I just wanted to give people that idea. I don't want you to think, you know, this is all about like, I learned this and I'm just going out and do super ninja stuff. No, not at all. You're very, very practical. You're very sober about it. And it gives you the sense of, 
hey, you know what? It wasn't the right time to use that tool, and I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like we said at the very beginning, it's, it's last resort things, but it's even more so like, uh, being prepared for when the Black Swan event happens so you can take your head off the, the rail, right? Versus yep. how am I going to deal with this issue? Worst case scenario, you're ready, but like you said, that's pretty cool testimony where he, he was still totally aware, totally present to what was going on, and he served – you know, inflicting justice after the fact, you know, right. could have probably made things a lot messier and. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. Well, how do people, uh, just tell me real quick, what's the best way for people to learn more about you and learn more about your programs and everything else? You know, if they go to surviveviolence.com, we've got like, uh, we've got a really nice little, uh, PDF of one of my books that you get for free. Um, and just great information. And just give anybody, if, if you liked what we were talking about right now, you'll get more information that way easily. We don't sell any information or any of that kind of stuff, but uh, it, it's a great way. So just surviveviolence.com. I mean, I'm all, I'm on all the platforms, you know, it's Tim Larkin, TFT, if you want Instagram yep. um, and you'll find me on, on anything else. But uh, yeah, for, for the people, the actual direct benefit, uh, survive violence, they'll get immediate access to more material like this. Awesome. 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 Well, hang in line here, but I want to thank you again, just for taking the time to share everything that you've been doing and it's been quite the career that you've like you said you've been running your marathon and it's it's just so cool to hear the testimonies and to see how it impacts you because you're deeply connected with the the ripple effect that you're having and actually saving lives versus being this violence guy you know yeah it's it's quite the opposite right yeah i I really enjoy the opportunity that i get to talk to people about this subject because uh yeah it's unique but yeah it's very rewarding that's awesome well thank you so much and uh like like you said, if you want to, to find out more about him and about uh, what he's up to, feel free to go to, you said, surviveviolence.com? Yep. All one word. Yep. Surviveviolence.com. Awesome. 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 Well, thank you again, brother. We'll, uh, we'll catch up soon and check in with me on the next episode. But uh, until then, have a great day. Take care. You got it. And I want to thank you so much for listening to The Johnny King Show. And hey, if you got something positive from this episode, please subscribe to the show, share it on your favorite social platform, and then tag me in it so I can say hi. It would also mean the world to me if you wrote a review of the show on Apple Podcasts because I read every single one. Do you feel like there's something I could be doing better? Awesome. I totally thrive on constructive feedback, and it's always welcome. So if you've got questions or concerns, you can always reach me via email at podcast at johnnyking.com. And then please follow me on Instagram at Johnny King, Facebook.com backslash Johnny King Men's Coach on my YouTube channel and LinkedIn. Thanks again for joining me. I've been Johnny King. You've been amazing. And we'll catch up with you next time. Take care.